0: September 14th. Looking into the New Testament now, our reading will be from the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1, as we begin reading this book, and uh, we'll go through verse 24. Now, to Paul, we'll see the gospel was much more than a message he preached, it was a miracle he had experienced himself. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, and it brings freedom. You see, Christ died that he might deliver us. When Paul trusted Christ, he became a free man. The shackles of sin and legalistic religion were broken. But the gospel was also a treasure that Paul guarded. Paul did not invent the gospel or learn it from others. God gave it to him. There is no other gospel. To add to this message or take from it, or substitute another message is to destroy it. No wonder Paul attacked those who attacked the gospel. Because when you lose the gospel, my friend, you lose everything. The gospel is a tie that binds God's people together. Saul, the enemy, became Paul, the brother, and he was able to fellowship with people he once had persecuted. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Christians may disagree on minor matters of interpretation and organization, but they agree on the message of the gospel. It was Paul Rees who wrote, The gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate, it is an announcement. And now let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. September 14th, Galatians chapter 1. Verses 1-24. through This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group or by human authority. My call is from Jesus Christ Himself and from God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending greetings to the churches of Galatia. May grace and peace be yours. From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That is why all glory belongs to God through all the ages of eternity. Amen. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who in His love and mercy called you to share the eternal life He gives through Christ. You are already following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who twist and change the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including myself, who preaches any other message than the one we told you about. Even if an angel comes from heaven and preaches any other message let him be forever cursed. I will say it again. If anyone preaches any other gospel than the one you welcomed, let God's curse fall upon that person. Obviously, I am not trying to be a people-pleaser. No, I am trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I solemnly assure you that the good news of salvation which I preach is not based on mere human reasoning or logic, for my message came from a direct revelation from Jesus Christ Himself. No one else taught me. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted the Christians. I did my best to get rid of them. I was one of the most religious Jews of my own age. AND I TRIED AS HARD AS POSSIBLE TO FOLLOW ALL THE OLD TRADITIONS OF MY RELIGION. BUT THEN SOMETHING HAPPENED, FOR IT PLEASED GOD IN HIS KINDNESS TO CHOOSE ME AND CALL ME, EVEN BEFORE I WAS BORN. WHAT UNDESERVED MERCY! THEN HE REVEALED HIS SON TO ME, SO THAT I COULD PROCLAIM THE GOOD NEWS ABOUT JESUS TO THE GENTILES. WHEN ALL THIS HAPPENED TO ME, I DID NOT RUSH OUT TO CONSULT WITH ANYONE ELSE. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. No, I went away into Arabia, and later returned to the city of Damascus. It was not until three years later that I finally went to Jerusalem for a visit with Peter, and stayed there with him for fifteen days. And the only other apostle I met at that time was James, our Lord's brother. You must believe what I am saying." for I declare before God that I am not lying. Then after this visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, The one who used to persecute us now preaches the very faith he tried to destroy. And they gave glory to God because of me."
1: Now, let me talk for a moment about something that will be quite offensive. I want to talk a moment about the hatred of God. The hatred of God. Brother Paul, what do you... God doesn't hate, God is love, therefore He cannot hate. No, God is love, therefore He must hate. Before we go to the Scripture, let me just give you an idea. Do you love babies? I do. I've got a bunch of them in my house. If I love babies, I must hate abortion. You love Jews. I do. You must hate the Holocaust. Do you love African Americans? You've got to hate slavery then. There's just no neutrality. You see, if you truly do love that which is right, that which is perfect, that which is good, there is also an animosity, an enmity against all all that that contradicts that standard. You and your sin being encountered by a holy God, there is only one response. Wrath, God loves all that is right, all that is true, all that is good, all that is virtuous. But Scripture after Scripture after Scripture in the Bible tells us that His hatred is manifest against wickedness. I could remove it if you'd like. I could be silent if you like, but I wouldn't be faithful to God. Let me give you a a good text. Go to Psalms chapter 5. Psalms chapter 5, verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Now, you know that wonderful statement that goes something like this? God loves the sinner and hates the sin? Just look at this text. Is that what it teaches? Not what it teaches. I'm sorry. I know it's a pretty thing to say and it looks good on the back of a contemporary Christian t-shirt, but it's not what the Scriptures teach. It does not say here that God's hatred is manifested towards the wicked deed. It says God's hatred is manifested towards the one who commits it. Now do not be mistaken, God's hatred is not like ours. It is not a self-centered, egotistical, selfish hatred. It is the reaction of a holy God against men who are vile. Who are you speaking of? Every man who is ever born. You need to understand, just what do you think the wrath of God is? Some impersonal thing that flies out from behind the throne of God? It is God! When people come to me and they say, Brother Paul, God saved me. I always love to ask them this question, from what did He save you? Well, He saved me from my sin. No. He saved you from Him. Well, I just don't believe that. But Just what you believe doesn't really matter. What does Scripture teach? Can God be loving? and not move against wickedness? No. Can God be good and be apathetic towards evil? Absolutely not. There is the wrath of God, and it is the result of Him being righteous and holy and even loving and good. God will judge men. He will. We must warn men. We must tell men. That God, all day long, extends out His hand to a disobedient, obstinate people, but at the same time, the wrath of God comes upon the world, because God is a righteous, holy God. Have you not read the book of Revelation? This is not just Old Testament teaching. That the wrath of God will come in such a way that men will cry out, the great captains and leaders of this world will cry out that the rocks fall upon them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. The question is this, how can anyone be saved? Here's our answer, the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Christ became a man, lived a perfect life under the law, went to that tree and died the death of His people. And in dying that death, He satisfied God's justice and appeased the wrath of God. God Himself is just, and God is perfect and consistent in all His attributes. We put no hope in man. God Himself must intervene to satisfy His justice, appease His wrath, and make it possible to express His love in salvation toward wicked men.
0: Psalm 58 verses 1 through 11. In words that may seem downright unchristian to us, David denounced the unjust rulers of his day, people who prompted evil by condemning the righteous and defending the wicked. In a prayer that would probably not be amend in churches today, he asked God to judge sinners and establish righteousness on the earth. Well, David used many images as he prayed for their judgment. He says make them toothless lions, let them disappear like water on the sand or like the slime of a snail, Uh, make them broken arrows, let them be like stillborn children, let them burn up like fuel under a pot, let them be taken away in a whirlwind, a very picturesque language. Because he was God's chosen king, David's enemies were God's enemies. No doubt his personal feelings were involved a little bit in these prayers. But this great concern was the righteousness of God and the good of God's people. David had the authority to denounce national enemies. We have the privilege of forgiving personal enemies. But you cannot forgive enemies until you realize how wicked their words and deeds are. A holy anger against sin and a forgiving spirit towards sinners. That's the mark of a true child of God. The person who has no concern to oppose wickedness in this world really does not know the sinfulness of sin or the holiness of God. The believer needs some backbone. Psalm 58, verses 1-11 through For the choir director, a Psalm of David To be sung to the tune, Do Not Destroy Justice, do you rulers know the meaning of the word? Do you judge the people fairly? No, all your dealings are crooked. You hand out violence instead of justice. These wicked people are born sinners. Even from birth, they have lied and gone their own way. They spit poison like deadly snakes. They're like cobras that refuse to listen, ignoring the tunes of the snake charmers, no matter how skillfully they play. Break off their fangs, O God! Smash the jaws of these lions, O Lord. May they disappear like water into thirsty ground. Make their weapons useless in their hands. May they be like snails that dissolve into slime, like a stillborn child who will never see the sun. God will sweep them away, both young and old, faster than a pot heats on an open flame. The godly will rejoice when they see injustice avenged. They will wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then at last everyone will say, There truly is a reward for those who live for God. Surely there is a God who judges justly here on earth. Proverbs 23, verse 12 Commit yourself to instruction. Attune your ears to hear words of knowledge.